everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit podcast. My name is Tim Travail, and I'm delighted to be joined by members of the research team, Patrick Valance, Peter Maliaris, and Josh Norton. So last time we had a good discussion about study quality and overall how we can uh, judge the quality of a research paper and the outcomes of that paper and applicability to our own practice. Today, we're going to dive into a little bit of uh, a bit of understanding around quality versus feasibility. In the last episode, we discussed that importance of quality, but sometimes we need to weigh that up against the feasibility and practical application on research trials, especially with probably all the researchers that have been working through COVID. Uh, I'm certainly aware of many people who have had to change their plans and their decisions over that time in, in, in how they're applying their research. And that's what we want to dive into today. So, Peter, I'm going to come to you first of all. So as an experienced researcher, I expect you're often making these decisions. And, and I want to understand what drives your decisions to make uh, uh, perhaps a decision that leans towards feasibility rather than uh, sort of original study design or changes to your study. Most of the time, it's just it just comes down to resources. So uh, with a Ph.D., um, with a small grant study, which is probably similar to a PhD. You can imagine a PhD is a small study. You've got <clears throat> you've got one PhD student working full time on a project. They haven't got any other support aside from themselves financially. Um, they just they haven't got support to pay for large equipment or to pay for other consultants doing other things most of the time. So it's um, limited in terms of what you can do and what you can achieve. Um, things, research, unfortunately, is expensive. And one of the most expensive and challenging parts is uh, recruitment and uh, recruitment of um, human subjects is human participants is difficult. Um, there's, a, there's a whole host of other things that are expensive as well. So um, it does challenge your ability to do robust research and this is goes into what we're talking about last episode which is looking at um looking at sample size and adequate sample size um recruiting people the the resources and time that comes with that is just often not feasible for a for a phd uh study so then phd students often then go down the path of either um being part of a funded study or going down the part of doing other observational studies or other types of study designs, which is absolutely fine. And you can still have a good quality study, I would say, even if it's a different type of design. Um, if you look at the hierarchy of quality and the levels of evidence, of course, it's not going to be at the level of evidence of an interventional study, but it is still a worthwhile study. Um, so... <clears throat> So you can still um, strive for high quality, but I think to answer your question, it's probably resources first and foremost, um, but also then throw things like COVID into the mix, uh, which no one was expecting, and that uh, then challenges people even further because it puts further strain on time and further strain on resources. Excellent. Thank you, Pete. Um Pat, I know you've been uh, you've been enrolled in your uh, PhD for a little while now, and certainly through the majority of COVID. How how have your plans changed over that time? Can you tell us a little bit about that. Yep, yep. So I've had a fair, fairly interesting um, journey. I've been quite fortunate being um, a uh, part time student. I've been a park research at times, particularly last year during the long lockdowns here in Australia. 
um, and and go back to the, the books to try to work out how to best approach. Um, it's, uh, we, we have adjusted considerably. Um, the initial project uh, was going to be quite involved in a lot of testing, repeat um, periods of testing as well. So um, fortnightly uh, time points. And, and now we're looking at a cross-sectional design instead, uh, just trying to minimize uh, possible issues that could arise with these lockdowns that we're, we're having COVID related lockdowns. So we're, we've um, definitely changed the, the question. It's still in the same population, but it's been a, an interesting process. I've learned a lot more for it. So um, learn a lot about study design for it, um, the different types of, re uh, of um, study designs as well. Um, so I, I definitely take the positives out of that. And I think the project we've got now is really interesting. Um, but yeah, we definitely had to be quite uh, flexible as a lot of our group, our MMRU group has been. And Josh, what about you? Has your project planning changed much given COVID? I've probably been fortunate to sort of uh, start mostly after COVID. So uh, I've been able to sort of allow for that in planning, um, which has been good. But one of the things that uh, I probably had a, under appreciation for before I started was just how much time it takes to do something as simple as data collection. Um, just getting people to come in and take some basic measures by the time you add that up and do 30 or 40 people, then uh, it takes a fair amount of time. And so uh, going through that process has been good to uh, really kind of appreciate all the work and effort that goes into the papers that are out there. Yeah, I don't think um, halfway through a systematic review at the moment, I'm certainly never going to not appreciate the amount of effort that goes into a systematic review uh, ever again. I've swore to myself last night at whatever time that I was never going to underappreciate that. So I think it takes a bit of personal experience to go through that hard graft to, to, to appreciate just when, you know, reading a paper. Um, so Pete, I'll come back to you and I just want to try and find out what, uh, any further tips you might have when we're trying to balance you, we've obviously we're, Pat's made some changes. Josh is perhaps at a slightly different stage and, uh, but he's making sure that he's factoring that into the planning. How do we make those decisions in terms of quality versus feasibility? You've talked a bit about um, resources. Um, I know you often talk about for, for PhD students, it's an apprenticeship style role where we are we are learning how to be researchers through this through this time. Um, but is there any other sort of guidance or tips you would have for either PhD students or early researchers who are just trying to balance up those decisions um, for you know feasibility versus you know the perfect study quality yeah i i think um that's a good question i think uh i think pat touched on it earlier and maybe josh as well but um control the things that you can control uh because it's such a it's such you know and i think you know uh, listening to particularly pat's journey and a lot of other pair students over this time there's lots of up and downs and there's lots of uh, sort of uh, dead ends and uh, U-turns. So you have to be able to control the things you can control. And uh, those are things like um, making sure that you reduce the or that you maximise the quality in your research where you can. So you can always uh, measure very carefully and make sure that you've measured your reliability and make sure that you're using the best possible measures available to you. And that reduces bias. So um, making sure that you do the things that are at your disposal to reduce as much bias and maximise the quality 
you may not be able to collect, you know, uh, you may not be able to recruit 100 people um, or 200 people, but that's okay if you can reduce the bias. And then the things that you can't control, uh, like the sample size and how many people you can recruit, sometimes they might be out of your control for reasons um, that we've touched on, uh, financial or other reasons. Um, you basically make the biggest effort possible to try and do as you know best job you can with that. So think about the things that you can do robustly and do them really, really well, I think is, is probably... Uh, what you can do as a PhD student. I like that, Peter. Control the controllables and we'll, we'll be in a much better position. So let's just stick with COVID for a moment. And, and Peter, I'm going to stick with you. So uh, COVID changed all of our lives globally, but let's just focus on, on your research outputs and your research areas of interest. What's changed for you uh, given, given COVID? Um, what are you looking at differently? Is it changing the way that you research? And um, just tell us a little bit about that if you can. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. I haven't really thought specifically about that. I guess um, it changed a lot of things last year particularly around the type of data collection that we could do, um, how much lab work we could do um, versus how much field work we could do. So one, I guess one of the obvious things that has happened with a lot of PhD students over this little period, and, and Pat's probably an exception to this, is that uh, people have moved towards um, either online um, uh, telehealth uh, survey-based, interview-based methods, uh, methods that can be um, that can be still uh, feasible during COVID restrictions, and particularly here in Australia, we've had, you know, we've probably had, you know, pretty much as bad restrictions as, as anywhere else in the world, in terms of the length and how severe they have been. So, I think uh, we've had to adapt to that and be able to collect data. Um, we're, we're very lucky now in that uh, even with the restrictions, we're currently in lockdown, but we're still collecting data at clinical sites and we can still do that because it's uh, we're able to still collect where uh, patients are still able to go in and seek treatment for part of our studies. So I guess it's been a, a shift away from lab and traditional based uh, research uh, sort of data collection that, uh, has been sort of forced onto us and we've, um, you know, had no choice really. Yeah, I just saw the other day that if it, if we do come out of, or we're still in lockdown next Thursday as planned in Victoria, that will be 200 days uh, of lockdown since uh, since COVID began. And uh, and so it's a, it's a huge impact on all of our research outputs. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how many of those we we continue to do. Um, I'm sure there's lots of, lots of benefits of, of, greater research happening in clinical practices as you say pete it's been something that's been forced upon us because of covid restrictions but perhaps that's a good thing to see more research actually happening in clinical practices and not just necessarily in laboratory areas so i think watch this space and and uh, and we'll see where that goes all right well thanks very much and thanks everyone for listening again um great discussion if you haven't had a chance to catch up on our previous episode in and around the importance of study quality then you'll be able to just uh, find that in your usual uh, podcast area where you found this one so uh 
great to catch up with everyone. Um, take care out there. And if you're in lockdown, um, we, we, we certainly feel for you and we're thinking of you and stay safe out there. All right. Thanks, everyone.